So as I said earlier, we are in the midst of a stewardship campaign, and <clears throat> that's that time of year when we try to raise uh, funds to do what we feel like God has called us to do uh, in, for the ministry and mission of the church. So that means we're going to talk about money for a few weeks, which always uh, makes people really excited. <laughs> there have been times when I've talked about money, preached about money, where I could feel the, the tension in the room. And that's probably why most pastors do not like to talk about money. But like I said last year, I love to talk about money. I love to preach about it because it's not about money. When you talk about passages of scripture where Jesus teaches about money, it's really not about money. It's about this. It's about our hearts. And it's about what we value and what we think is important in life. And every time that Jesus teaches about money, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging to think about the really important uh, things in life. And so I like to do that because when I preach, I want to preach about something that's meaningful, right? <laughs> Which I hope is every week. So we'll be doing that for a few weeks. Um, today we're going to take a look at a parable uh, from the Gospel of Luke that I'm sure you've probably heard before. It's called the Parable of the Rich Fool. And then, um, so that's the first part of the passage. The second part of the passage is kind of an explanation, really, or, or um, uh, yeah, kind of an explanation or interpretation, a little added um, teaching on the parable, which is just really, really rich. Uh, you can also find this section that second section, also in, in a parallel passage in the Gospel of Matthew, right smack in the center of the Sermon on the Mount. So let me pray, or let me read the passage first, and then we'll pray. So Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 35, it's a long passage, so don't let your minds wander as we go through this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide an inher the inheritance with me. <laughs> Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Jesus is very smart. He's not going to triangulate here. He's not going to get caught up in a family dispute. <laughs> but he does say this. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Already, man, right out of the gate, we're hitting some hard stuff. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to, stare, to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. The first storage facility. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. Here's a key, key uh, couple words here, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, oh, these are such good words, just take them in. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Here's another key verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I'll end it there. God, we pray that you would take this amazing uh, passage of scripture, these words from you, and speak them deep into our hearts and minds. Lord, we know that these words are so contrary to what we hear constantly in our culture. We pray that our hearts would be open and our minds would be open to what you have to tell us today. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. My sister and brother-in-law live on Shelter Island. I don't know if any of you know where Shelter Island is. It's in uh, New York at the very, uh, I guess it would be the eastern uh, edge of Long Island where it goes into two forks. There's a little island in the middle sheltered by the two forks and that's called Shelter Island. You can only get there by ferry. It's a really charming little quaint uh, island and I was there with my family visiting my sister and brother-in-law and I went down to the beach by myself um, and just spent some time alone looking out over the sound uh, to the north fork of the, the island. Beautiful day, kind of like today, just crystal clear, sunny, gorgeous, very peaceful. And I was just enjoying myself, praying, kind of thinking about life, contemplating how beautiful it was. My, my heart was grateful. And then this huge yacht came by. 
there are a lot of big yachts in that area because Sag Harbor and the Hamptons is over on the other side on the South Fork. And so it, it can tend to be a wealthy area. And here is this gorgeous yacht. And the wind was blowing in such a way. You know how the wind blows sometimes? You can hear everything. So the wind was blowing, and even though the, the yacht was a little uh, pretty far out, I could hear the conversation of the people on the yacht. And it was around happy hour. I wanted to say the name of the boat was happy hour, but I can't remember that for, for sure. But they were sitting in the back, and you know there was a lot of eat, eating and drinking and being merry, right? They were having a great time. And I've always loved boats. Uh, so I was looking out there, and this is what came to my mind. I'll be honest with you here. Well, maybe I should have done something different with my life. <laughs> that would be pretty cool to have a yacht like that and to be sitting in it with my friends having happy hour. The story of our culture is always right there, isn't it? That material possessions and uh, things like yachts and nice cars and all the rest, money, really, is the key to life, key to happiness. And it's very deceitful. Jesus warns us, watch out for greed. And really, that was greed that I was dealing with, wasn't it? I mean, I was perfectly happy a couple moments ago before I saw the yacht. Here I am sitting on a beautiful beach, staying on a beautiful island with a great family. Got a good life. That's why Jesus says, watch out for greed. And most of us, you know, I've never met a person who has said, you know, I really struggle with greed. <laughs> Have you ever met anybody that has said that? We don't. We don't think we're greedy. And yet Jesus says, watch out for greed. And I love the combination of words there in the Greek. It means be on constant guard, always aware. Um, because it's, it's like a robber trying to come and grab your purse, trying to grab something from you. Be, watch out. For your life, Jesus says, is not defined by your material possessions, by all the stuff you have, even if you have a lot. So Jesus gives us a very clear warning, very, very powerful words to be on guard. Because what wealth can do to you, and let me tell you right up front, money is not bad. In Scripture, Money is never said to be bad. Wealth is not said to be bad. It's what you do with it. And where your heart is. So then Jesus says, wow, this is very seductive, very powerful. It can even deceive you into thinking that you don't need God. That's how powerful it is. Probably why Jesus teaches more about money, the subject of money, than any other topic except the kingdom of God. Because it can deceive us. 
And so then he tells this great parable about a farmer, a rich man who has a bumper crop and everything works right. Being around farmers for 17 years in Chico, I can tell you, farmers are a unique, unique group of people. They are very aware that they can do everything right and still not come up with a good crop. They're kind of humble people in that respect. So everything works right for this guy. Man, the weather, the sun hits at the right time, the rain comes at the right time, everything's just great, and he gets this huge crop, and then he's faced with this dilemma, poor guy. What do I do with all this stuff? This huge crop. So he talked to himself. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barn and build bigger, newer ones. Then kick back for the rest of my life. Drink, eat, and be merry. And then Jesus says, or God says this. Now, I've said this before in parables. The surprise of the parable usually unlocks the meaning. There's usually a surprise. And here, I think, is the surprise. God says, you fool! That's kind of surprising. I mean, the guy, all he's doing is storing. He, he's, he's not going out and wasting it on a bunch of stuff. He's storing it. And yet, God says, you fool. Can I just tell you, you don't want to hear those words from God. <laughs> Tonight you die. In your big old barns, what's going to happen with all that stuff? Key verse, then, this is what happens when you fill your barns with loads of stuff but are not rich toward God. So where did this guy go wrong? Why did Jesus call him a fool? Well, I think in the first place, he's completely self-centered. Did you notice that? This guy is already rich. In other words, he has more than he even needs. All his needs are met. And then life, God, gives him this abundant crop more than he could possibly handle. It's kind of like in today's world, you know, we could own 40 of acres of wasteland that, that nobody wants, and it's not worth a whole lot, and all of a sudden it gets rezoned, and it's worth 10 times as much, and we're rich. <laughs> That's what happens. So he asks himself this question, what shall I do? Now, what's interesting about this guy is the whole world revolves around himself. Look at the words. What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. My, I, my. It's all about him. It was uh, said of a self-centered young woman one time, Edith lived in a little world bounded on the north, south, east, and west by Edith. <laughs> That's this guy. It's just, what do I do with it? It's my stuff. He looks ahead to a long life of kicking back, doing nothing but counting his own money, and he thinks he'll really be living. Now, can I just say, I think this guy is living the American dream. You know, the American dream is kind of hard to, de to define, but I would say the American dream 
is being independently wealthy. Wouldn't you? To have enough that you feel like you can do whatever you want whenever you want. I, I think that's it. I'd love to hear what you think. Means to do whatever I want. This guy's living it. So it's all about him. Second place he went wrong. He thinks material possessions are what will bring satisfaction in life. Will give him life. That's so clear in this parable that this is what Jesus is really driving at. Man, don't let possessions trick you into thinking that that is what life is about. Doesn't do it. The Romans had this powerful proverb which said money was like drinking seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier, thirstier you become. Our culture, I think, is beginning to realize this. I think the pandemic kind of realized this or made us realize this, to think through what really makes up life. But this guy never thought about his soul, never ever referenced to God, never thought about the primary purpose of life, to know God, to be in relationship with God, to develop our souls. And so he misses the primary reason for life. Jesus once said, What does it profit anyone if that person gains the whole world gets all the stuff, the American dream, and loses his or her own soul. Instead, so this is where this guy goes wrong. Jesus says real wealth, really being wealthy, is not determined about how much you possess. Real life is when you are rich toward God. So what does Jesus mean when he says real wealth Real wealth is being rich toward God. Well, here's where I would say what I think Jesus means. Real wealth is when you don't own anything. (laughs) Or at least the perception is that everything you have is not really yours. And we talked about this last year. This is just kind of one of the basic ideas of this thing we called stewardship. That all that we have in life And this is really radical. (laughs) I mean, Jesus is teaching some really contrarian things here, isn't he? I know this. The gospel says that all of life is a gift. Everything we have is a gift from God. And we become wealthy in soul. I think, rich toward God when we realize this and we live this way. It's all a blessing. Remember the series on grace that I gave when I first came here? Man, we talked about common grace. God blesses good folks and bad folks. God blesses everybody. Pours blessings on scoundrels as well as saints. It's, It's all a gift. And a huge difference in how we live life when not only intellectually we acknowledge this this truth, but we live it out in our lives. It's one of the big ideas of the Christian faith. And I think really one of the freeing ideas of the Christian faith. Because gratitude replaces always wanting more. Contentment 
replaces dissatisfaction. Humility replaces arrogance. Dependence upon God replaces independence. And freedom replaces worry. You see this in in verses 22 through 34. Jesus says, don't worry about all that stuff. Don't spend all your time running after those things. Trust me. I know what you need. My resources are great. Second way that I think we can be rich towards God is is when our security is in God and not in our money. This this follows up right on what uh, the first point. You know, one of the commentators that I read this week read that we, we live in an age of anxiety. And it's so interesting that in this time of so much wealth, especially in our country, when we have so much that we are anxious, interesting that the people Jesus was teaching, he was speaking to people really that live day by day. Day by day. Right? Precarious lives. So these words even mean more. Jesus is saying, don't worry. Have your security in God. Don't worry about like, your life, what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. Your Father knows that you need them. Being rich toward God means that we have peace. We have comfort in God's provision. Confident of God's care. That we're not worried. Third way we can be rich toward life. Center your life not around yourself, but around God. Set your heart. Seek first, as it says in Matthew uh, version of this, seek first the kingdom of God. That's what you orient your life around is what that word first means. Seek first the kingdom of God. As we saw, this guy's life was much centered about what he wanted. Being rich toward God means we ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with this money? This big crop I just had. Lord, what is it that you would want me to do with this? And see, this is what we're asking, I hope, over these weeks of stewardship. To really ask in prayer, God, what, what would you have me do with what you have given me? Because it's not my money, God, it's your money. What do you want me to do with it? How do you want me to invest it? Bend your will toward his. Uh, when we commit our lives to Christ, you know, we commit everything, including our finances. What am I going to do? This is why money is so important to God. You see, God isn't worried about us giving him money. God knows that when we are free from the grips of money, he can have our heart. God doesn't want your money, folks. This is what's even more radical. God wants you. (laughs) Money? He's got enough money. You know, I think 
that God could do what if he can create the whole world, I think he has enough money to do what he wants to do. Don't you think? God wants your heart. Because that's when God has your heart, you'll have life as it's meant to be lived. Where your treasure is, God says, your heart will be also. Wow, key verse. You're going to hear it every stewardship season. Where your treasure, where your mammon is, that's the real word, money. Where your money is, your heart follows. Great principle. What you give your money to, your heart will follow. Third way that we can be rich in God is to realize real wealth is found in not what we keep, but what we give away. The Jewish idea of wealth in the Old Testament, it was always that wealth is a gift from God. You have been blessed. Now go bless others. That's what it's for. Very different different definition of wealth, of what gives us life. It's not all the stuff that we're able to get. It's how much we've been able to give away. That's where we get life. The end of the passage seems to say that generosity is what guards our heart from greed. We give it away, we don't get greedy. John Grisham, you know, that famous author, once said, my wife and I measure the success of each year by how much we've been able to give away. Very different, isn't it, from the world's standards of wealth. Totally different. So this passage is really, what do we do about our wealth? What do we do with our money? What do we do with what God has given us? Is it his or is it ours? And in some ways, I think this is an investment parable. And this is where I'd like to apply it to our lives today. You know, we're talking a lot about it as a church this year, because I think all these things apply to a church as well as individuals. We're talking about investment a lot, about what do we want to invest in in our church? Because, you know, a budget is simply a reflection of our values and what we feel is important. Being rich toward God means investing in what God cares about, investing in the kingdom of God, in kingdom worth. And I think usually that means investing in people. And this year, we are calling our congregation to invest a lot in people, specifically children, in youth, in families. Why? Because they're so important to God. And I think our kids today need to know the love of God more than any generation, maybe. Talk about an anxious generation. It's pandemic. So how can we invest in people? You know, I, this is dear to my heart because I feel like people have really invested in me. You know, I, you know, I wasn't raised in the church. I went to a church that really invested in children and youth ministry. It was a priority. Beautiful facilities for kids. Lots of budget went to kids. They cared about the next generation. And they invested in kids. 
So I started going to this church, and, and they welcomed me with open arms. I, they didn't know me. I, my parents didn't go there. It was me. And the time came for summer camp. And I was raised by a single mom with three kids. Not a whole lot of money, folks. I had never been to summer camp before. This was ninth grade. Never been to a summer camp. And somebody in the church, so when time came to pay for this, my mom couldn't pay for this. There was no way I could go. So somebody in the church said, you know what, I want that kid to go to church. I want that kid to go to camp, and I'll pay his way. Changed my life. Was another significant step, and for every year after that, in high school, my way was paid until I got a job at McDonald's, paid my own way, which, by the way, was the most fun job I ever had in life. <laughs> All my buddies worked there. It was, it was a blast. Anyway... I digress. <laughs> Invested in me. And then when I was a youth pastor in Pleasanton, you know, I hadn't been to seminary yet. I served that church five years. When the time came for me to go, they, they said, you know what, Steve, we want to support you. We know that seminary is expensive. We want to support you $5,000 a year for the three years that you're there so that you can pay for this and have some money. They invested. I think of the people that built this church 100 years ago or whatever it was. Wow. They said, we need a church for people to worship God, to gather in community, to educate people, kids. Let's build this church. That was an investment by those people that we've been enjoying for years, right? 1940s, I think. If anybody knows better than me, let me know. They said, we need to build a Christian education building for kids to learn about Christ and about God and God's purpose for their lives. And so they invested in this great building. That is a great building. Our consultant for the Next Gen Task Force said, this is a great building for children's ministry. Let's invest so we can fill that building with kids and adults, and volunteers. Friends, what are you going to do with the money that God has given you? This is the main point of this parable. And life, here's the good news of this parable. Life, joy, deep joy, is found when we give our lives away. Amen? Amen. God, we thank you for this parable, for the words that you spoke, these words of truth that really ring true, so contrary, so challenging. And yet, God, we know that you know where life is found. So as we... Consider our giving this year. Lord, may we consider all these things and listen to your voice and step out in faith. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.